Good evening. Usually, I say, I'm used to saying good morning and welcome, but since I've been invited here, I want to say thank you. It's a blessing to be here. We are Merv and Anna Mae King. We come from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are part of Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. We're a newer church. We're about three and a half years old. And, um, but with us here, we have David and Ruthie Glick. And David and Ruthie are my uncle and aunt. So it's a privilege to have them with us here tonight. Again, thank you. Uh, we count it a privilege to be with you all and want to worship and want to study the Word of God with you. And it's a privilege to do that. Turn open your Bibles if you care to follow along. I want to read out of 1 John chapter 2. Recently in our local congregation, I've been given a series of sermons and the cause for the sermons or the purpose of the sermons is... They're taken out of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in 1st John, chapter 5, verse 13, I believe it is, John writes that I have written these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. And that's the cause for the messages that, I was, that I'm preaching at the local congregation. There's another, um, there's another area in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 4. He says, these things we write so that your joy may be complete. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a backdrop, the context of where, why uh, John was writing these things. These things were written to the church. They were not written specifically to the unbeliever. The, he was talking to the church. So we can assume that they were believers. What he was trying to confront was the heresy that the Gnostics were bringing into the church. I don't fully understand the, the heresy of Gnosticism, but it has a couple key um, fallacies, if you will, that can soon, if you believe them, can soon take you away from the very foundation that you and I stand on today. One of them is that they didn't believe that Jesus Christ came on earth. They believed that somehow the, the heaven where God was and the earth that we live in are two totally different uh, entities in which they are, but they believe one was good and one was bad, and therefore Jesus could not come as the as the incarnation of Christ. And then they had this belief that what they did in the spirit realm is what mattered, is what gave them superior life, not really eternal life, but superior life. And what happened in the physical didn't matter. And I think if you look around long enough in today's society, we have similar, we have similar um, cultures or 
maybe even churches that live the same way. Um, and so, but zoning in on tonight, zoning in on, on the message that I felt that God wanted me to share with you all tonight comes out of 1 John chapter 2, and I want to zone in on verses 3 through 6. And the theme here is to know God. John starts off, John starts off in, in verse 3, by this we know that we have come to know him. So the purpose of these verses, John wants to assure his followers that they can know God and that through the knowledge of him comes a changed life that produces obedience. By this we know that we, come, that we have come to know him. The first word know there, both times the two knows are the same word, they have the same meaning. But the first one is, is, has the meaning of uh, becoming aware, seems to indicate of a knowledge, to know of, to become known, to be made aware, to realize. So when someone tells you something that you've heard for the first time, this is the kind of know that he's talking about. It's John is saying that we can know, kind of head knowledge, that we have come to know him. That second no there, although it's the same word, has a different connotation to it. It must mean more than just mere head knowledge, because Satan himself was very aware of God. In fact, only knowing about God is exactly what uh, John was trying to confront in this heresy. Um, I forgot to mention, in, the, in Gnosticism, they believed that they had a superior knowledge about who God was. But John was confronting them and encouraging the church by saying, you say that you know God, but uh, actually in chapter 1, in chapter 1, he talks about if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So John was confronting that they, had some, they claimed to have some knowledge of God, but yet they didn't walk in that. They didn't walk in the knowledge that they claimed to have. So that's what John was, was confronting. It wasn't producing godly character in them. So, just to give you a couple examples of that second word, no. If someone would ask me if I know, what's the name that we universally know? First thing I can think of is the president, right? Not to get into politics, but if someone would ask me if I knew Donald Trump, I would say, no, I know of him, but I don't know him. You follow? There's a difference. And so, if you would ask me, if some stranger, this likely isn't to happen, but I'll use my wife as an example. If some stranger asked me if I know Anna Mae King, I would say, absolutely. She's my wife. She's my best friend. I know her weaknesses. I know her strengths. I know what pleases her. I know what makes her sad. The point is, I have a personal relationship with her. 
she is without question the person that I know the best on this earth. Because of me knowing these things about her has changed my life and the way I live. I've gone from living for myself to living with and for someone else. And I can assume that's the same for you that are married. And even beyond marriage, for you singles, you have friends that, that you know very well. And hopefully you have good friends that show godly character. And maybe you have observed friends that did something unusual with godly character that you remembered, that it changed your life. I hope that's the case for you all. But if that's true for our friends and our spouses, how much more so should it be when it comes to our knowledge of God? It should change us completely, should it not? There's different degrees of knowledge about or relationship with someone, and I think the same is with God. I think we, so many people have a knowledge of a God. And yet, from the time that you are born again, from the time that you're justified, and you go through life in this sanctification process, there's different degrees of us knowing God. And that's what I hope to expound on tonight. Usually, talking about different degrees coming in personal relationship with people, for example, what I mean is if... if um, trying to think of an example. Let's say that you go to school, you, you ask uh, anybody if they know such and such, and they happen to go to church with him 10 years back. Yeah, I know him. I went to church with him. Usually the first thing out of their mouth is an indication of how well they know him. You understand? And so if someone asks if you're a Christian, what is your reply? What is your knowledge of God producing in your life. So how do we know that we know him? John continues on and says, if we keep his commandments. The word keep here, the word keep that is used here means to guard, to keep an eye on, to be conscious of. And my question is, are you guarding? Are you guarding against Satan's attacks in your life that would keep you from keeping God's commandments? And I'm going to talk about God's commandments here in a little bit. Are you conscious of how you're living in light of his commandments? Do you regard the things he reveals to you as you get to know him? You know, as I get to know my wife, we've been married for... 12 years, going on 13 years, and I'm still getting to know her. And it's a blessing when she points something out in my life. I might not always want to hear it, but the reality of it is when she points that out, there's use, and I accept it with humility, that's where growth happens. When we, when we accept it with humility and 
we make the change necessary to correct what she has seen in my life. So what commandments? What commandments is he talking about here? If we guard our lives in regards to the commandments. Now, (coughs) excuse me. My focus tonight is not as much exactly what the commandments are. Yes, we, we need to understand what the commandments are, but the commandments are almost, you can't ex- I can't exhaust them here tonight. And so I'm not going to try and do that. I have several written down here. But more importantly, as I read through these commandments, I want you to listen what the character is of the person keeping the commandment, because I think that's important for us to see. I'll start with what we often refer to as the greatest commandment found in Mark. Uh, you don't have to turn. I'll be all over the place. You can, you can try if you want. Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and all your strength. And then the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as, your, as yourself. Next is the command to love, John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. How about the golden rule? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. That's in Matthew, 12, Matthew 7, verse 12. The commandment to be born again. In John chapter 3, verse 3, it says, You must be born again. Jesus answered and said unto them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How about the commandment to deny yourself and take up your cross? Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The commandment to forgive, Mark chapter 11, 25 and 26. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive you your transgressions. How about turning the other cheek in Matthew 5, 38 and 39? You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him also. Turn the other to him also. Going the extra mile, Matthew chapter 5, 40 to 42. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. What is the character that you see? The person living these commands of Jesus. As I was studying this, my thoughts immediately went to, it's a life of humility. It's a life of sacrifice. It's a life of love. And it's a life of serving. And one of the things that I thought of is... If you look at all these commandments, and there's more. Again, this, I did not exhaust the commandments of Christ. But it's impossible 
to do just these few. It's impossible to do these without the love of God first being in us. It's impossible to do without a change of heart. And I believe that's where, uh, I don't know you as a church, but I think, and I'm talking to myself, this is, this is a message I had for our church here at home. And the same thing I said to them, it's a challenge for us as leaders, as pastors, to, we must be careful when we talk about these commands, because if we don't underst- if we don't have the change of heart that is driving us to obey to obedience if we don't have that change of heart it's impossible for us to live these commandments and so for us leaders it's important for us to observe the heart where is the heart behind it if someone is not living in the standards or living in the commandments what is the heart behind it is it truly repented that's where we must zone in on and try and understand the heart so it's a challenge for us leaders because following the commandments must be done in love. John chapter four, John chapter fourteen, verse fifteen says, "If you love me, you will keep my commandments." It doesn't say if you love me, keep them. It says you will, out of the abundance of the heart, you will keep my commandments if you love me. John fifteen nine and ten. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus tells us, John tells us that this is how we know, that we know him, if we keep his commandments. If we're doing it in love because of our knowledge, is our knowledge of Christ, of God and Christ, is our knowledge of, of him compelling us to obedience. Verse 4, The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So John here is making an appeal to, to the knowledge that these Gnostics had. <coughs> he, was, he was seeing people puffed up and with no real change to show for it. And there's nothing wrong with knowledge. I'm not against knowledge. But when we talk about the knowledge of God and the knowledge of who he is, based on the word of God. I'm sorry, if we talk of the knowledge that we have in him, whether it's based on the word of God will be determined by the way we live. So what is your knowledge of God tonight? Maybe more importantly, what is the knowledge of God producing in your life? If you would ask an unbeliever, and we see this, we see this, this is so rampant today, that the world has no concept 
of having a just God. The world has no concept of having a righteous God. The world has no concept of having a holy God. Usually the unbeliever wants to sit and dwell in the fact that we have a kind God, we have a loving God. Now those, are, those things are true. We do have a kind God. We do have a love, loving God. But when, when you're apart from Jesus, not being justified, you can't stand the thought of having a just God. And so the unbeliever wants to, totally rejects the idea that we have a holy God. We have a just God. We have a righteous God. What is your knowledge of him when it comes to the attributes of God? Those things that I mentioned are the very attributes of God. It's what we can learn in Scripture about who God is. But what is that knowledge of him producing in our life? I hope it's not just the shallow understanding or just staying at wanting to Focus on a kind and loving God. We have to take all those attributes and understand how they, how they don't contradict who God is. So what is your knowledge of God producing in your life? Hopefully, it is obedience and not arrogance. It goes on to say that The one who says, I have come to know him <coughs> and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. John uses this word liar because we lie when we claim to have knowledge of God and don't bear the fruit of knowing him. And so it's not, it's not okay to say I know God by itself but do we have the outpouring of those the, the fruit in our lives what's the fruit in our lives you can go back and look at these commandments how are we living and how are those commandments being flowing out of us in our relationships with one another in our relationships with our children in our relationships with our wives our co-workers. Verse 5, But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. When you see someone who who has been radically transformed. I, I think of, I, I think of uh, not a specific situation, but there's times, I've witnessed times in my life where God has radically transformed someone. And, and I believe this is what this is talking about. Not, not just radically transformed, but transformed the heart in him, 
the love of God is perfected. And it's out of that, that, uh, that knowledge of what Christ has done for him that compels him to keep his word. Whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God is perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. That word perfected means to bring to fulfillment, to accomplish. Doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that when we're justified, we're perfect. It's not saying that we're perfect. If we, if we keep his word, that we're perfect. No, it doesn't. John makes that very clear in chapter 1. He says, he who says he has no sin is a liar. He, he addressed that. But that very love in us, the love of God in us, compels us, and I'll cover it briefly here, compels us to repent of the sin that the Holy Spirit uh, convicts us of. That, lo- that also that love of God is perfected in us by way of understanding God better, studying the attributes of God. And through that love of God being in us and being perfected in us comes that greater, greater ability to love others. Since sanctification, as we discover his grace, is new every day, where every time we fall or that we get discouraged. (coughs) Excuse me, I'm fighting the cold there this evening. In our greater understanding of who God is and his love for us, gives us a deeper love for him, thus perfecting or accomplishing the love of God in us. And by this, we know that we are in him. Verse 6. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Again, it's not, it's not enough to say that I'm abiding in him. Remember the heresy that he's trying to confront here. These Gnostics were saying, I know him, I follow him. But their lives were far from the, far from the truth. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. How did he walk? How did Jesus walk? He walked in truth. He represented the Father. He was the incarnation. He was God incarnate. God incarnate. Jesus walking on the earth. He represented the Father. He did his Father's will. John chapter 5 verse 30. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. John chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. Do not, do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. 
Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father. John is saying that, or Jesus is saying that, as we see him, he's representing the Father. And he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works. That doesn't mean greater in power. It means greater, if you look up that word greater, it means it has a connotation of greater in number. He goes to the Father, gives us the Holy Spirit. That dwells among all of those that believe. When he went to his father, I, I did cover that. When he went to his father, he gave us the spirit, his Holy Spirit. So walking in the same manner as Jesus walked is personal and it's expensive. It's personal because it is the Holy Spirit in us who is at work in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. So it's the Holy Spirit in us. We too will walk in truth. We too are to do his will. We will love what he loves. We will hate what he hates. He gives us compassion for people. He gives us compassion for those around us. He gives us sensitivity to sin. And we will be convicted of it. He will give us the the gift of obedience, the gift of repentance. Those are the marks of a believer. That's how we know that we can know that we're in him. And it's expensive. Because following Jesus or walking as he walked will cost you. Jesus' life eventually led to death. Are you willing to follow him? Now, I don't know. It may not mean physical death for you or I, but there's plenty of places in the world where that is the case. Following Christ is a choice of life or death. How, how can we as his followers expect anything less? Jesus was the only perfect one to ever walk on this earth and they crucified him. What does that mean for you and I? We're not perfect. People are going to challenge us. People are going to come against us. They hated Jesus first. The Bible says they will hate us. They hated Jesus first. It's expensive. It's going to cost you. Are you willing Remember the command, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And remember when Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Therefore, obedience demonstrates our love for God. Obedience demonstrates our love for God. We must forsake our lives and follow Christ. We must, when we obey God's agenda, we must abandon ours. Our lives no longer 
take precedence. It's Jesus first. Is that, is your knowledge of God and who he is and what he's done for you producing obedience in your life? We must abandon our thoughts, plans, and actions when they're not according to his will. In forsaking our own lives and following Christ, he will lead us through experiences that will result in death to ourselves. What do I mean by that? It's a part of that sanctification process. I alluded to the fact that John covered in, John said in the first chapter of 1 John, that he who says, he who claims to be without sin is a liar. It's just not true that we can walk, even as believers. We do stumble. We do fall. But it's that it's the grace of God and the love of God in us that convicts the sin. And he then gives us the power to overcome and gives us that gift of, gift of obedience to repent. And that grace of God in us, now that this is, was not in my notes, but I want to cover this real quick. The, the other thing that we see a lot in today's society is we're very, um, very free in how we use this word grace. And it's oftentimes it alludes to the fact that the grace of God can cover sin. Brothers and sisters, that's not the case. That is not the case. Grace, the grace of God is never an excuse for sin. Never. The grace of God compels us and gives us the strength of God to overcome sin. Never excuse it. Never excuse it. But we hear that a lot today. We hear that a lot. I, I think um, think of a, a dear friend of mine from another state that when he was converted... He had, a, he had a very bad smoking habit. And he was converted, and the Lord delivered him from that. And I was rejoicing because that's part of my testimony. And so we were sharing our testimonies. And, and about a year later, I met him again. He's not a very close friend of mine, but we know each other very well. And a year later, I met him. And, of course, we kind of picked up where we left off. And I could soon tell he wasn't the same person that, he had been a year prior. And so I asked him, I said, hey, you're still living in victory. I said, I don't remember his exact words, but the, the point was he had fallen back into what God delivered him from, and that was smoking. I said, brother, I said, you were so miraculously delivered. What, what happened? And I couldn't believe his reaction. He said, there's grace for that. That's not grace. That's not grace. God in his power to deliver you. Will not use the means of grace to undo what he's delivered you from. It's just it's just not going to happen. So I was not in my notes, but I had to. I, 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 it, it burdens me with how freely we use grace and Yes, we need, to, we need to talk about grace, but in its context. It's never a reason for sin. Going on here, I've got I to wrap up here. 
In conclusion, the way that we walk our lives will accurately describe what we believe. The way that we walk our lives will accurately describe what we believe. The question is, do you believe and walk in truth? Does our knowledge of God and our faith in Christ result in a faithful and loving obedience in him? Someone once said, and this is, uh, I, I heard this before, I don't, you, you may have heard it. But someone once begged the question, if you were accused of being a, a Christian, would there be enough of evidence to prove it? It's a sobering thought, but it's a, it, it's a, it's a question for all of us. So if people ask if you're a Christian, remember how in that relationship when you ask if you know someone, usually the first words out of their mouth is that it gives us an indication of how well they know that person. Maybe instead of saying yes, you could ask them, what does my life really tell you about what I believe? So my challenge is, again, I don't know you. I don't know you. I don't know where you guys are at in your walk. But my challenge is that as Christians, following Jesus Christ, do we accurately represent the Father? And does our lives, do our, does our life reflect a genuine knowledge of him and that love being in us. Will the world, when the world looks at us, can they see that there's a changed man? And there's, there is not many things that are, that are more uh, confusing to the world when they see a Christian living the commandments of Jesus. And that's often when the world doesn't have a Bible to read, they can read us. And so does our life reflect that? That's my challenge for you tonight. Let's not stop at a knowledge of God. Let's not stop there. Is that knowledge produced?